This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Forever Night, Season 1, Episodes 1 and 2. The first dig was abandoned because the Indian laborers were being killed at night. They said it was vampires. Sucked their blood. No. It sounds incredible, but... Apparently they were searching for a pair of cups like the one we had stolen, and they found one, but they abandoned the dig before they found the other. That was ours, don't you see? The murderer might have had one cup already, and stole ours to make the pair. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast from the mean streets of Toronto. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Three words. Intuition. (laughs) You're a real skanky, aren't you? Yeah, real skanky. That's that, that's how they pronounce it, huh? Skanky. That's how they pronounce that character's name the first time it came on screen. I was like, okie dokie. I know. I looked at it and I'm like, isn't it Shanke? I think it probably is pronounced closer to a Shanke, but uh, yeah. it's, it's been anglicized to skanky. Skanky. Not a good last name, but there we are. Well, this week we're starting a new best of series speed run, and it is for the mid-90s CBS series Forever Night. Mm-hmm. Um, and a quick note before we get into it, because we're doing a best of format right now, uh, this is how it's going to work. We're not going to watch all three seasons of Forever Night. That's too many episodes of Forever Night. Yeah. So we will be watching the pilot, the top three episodes of each season, and the series finale. Um, the top three of episodes, of course, have been determined by our proprietary algorithm of uh, looking at IMDb, <laughs> a bunch of best of lists, and then asking the listeners if they liked any of these episodes. Yeah, so far, it's been foolproof. Yeah, no problems at all. Um, And of course, as always, we can still uh, use the escape pod to jettison out of the series early if its uh, average rating falls below a five after three podcasts about it. So there's Mm -hmm. there's no guarantees we're going to get even through the minimal we've guaranteed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, uh, as we get started, uh, did you look into this show a little bit, Luke, to see some of the back, uh, back history about it? Not at all. I was like, I'm going to go in blind. It's going to be uh, all new to me when I go. <laughs> there's only one little thing I say I found because there's not a lot on this show, which is, I think, a little surprising based on just how many episodes there are. Because I think there's like 70 episodes of this show. It's three years. But uh, the one thing I did find is this is the second go at this. There was a p- pilot of this from 1989 that didn't get picked up. And this is the second kick at it. Two weird things about it. One... Uh, that pilot was called Nick Knight, which we can argue if that's a better title than Forever Knight, um, just having the guy's name Nick Knight. But the other weird thing about it, well, two weird things. One, the person who played Nick Knight was Rick Springfield uh, in, the, in the pilot, old Jesse's girl himself. <laughs> Jesse's girl himself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, the other odd thing is that John uh, Kapalos is in that as well, playing the same character. So who's, who's they that? liked him so much. Uh, he's uh, a skanky. No, skanky. Good so for him. Skanky. So all, all, the, all the characters are the same, but they recast everyone except for him. They're just like, no, no, he's got to come back. When you hit the when you hit gold, Jordan, you don't go back. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Now, let me ask you, though. What do you like better, Nick Knight or Forever Knight? Forever Knight, for sure. Nick Knight just sounds like Nick at night. It sounds like you're going to watch yeah. a kid's show. 
Yeah, Nick Knight's not a great title. I have, I have to say, though, the Forever Night font makes me laugh so much. It's so lame. I love the font. It's so good. And not only because it's like <laughs> a regular font and then like a really like insanely gothic like scribbled pen like <laughs> scrawled across the screen. It's like Forever Night. And then all the credits also do that. So everyone's name is written in this like insane series of fonts. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So the opening credits, you get like kind of the music and a little bit of i think there's a voiceover now i'm already forgetting and then it just keeps flashing to all the credits but they're all in that font and it's just it's so over the top <laughs> well jordan had you heard of forever night do you remember the show i don't and i know i know um you and i have talked about it because somehow i've requested the show at least two three times this season alone just because it sounds like such an insane show um but i don't have any memory of this at all which is weird because obviously i've lived in the toronto area uh, most of my life or my whole life I should say and you think this show would have been like something that people talked about but I don't remember I don't remember it at all how about you coming from uh, the mean streets of Alberta well so the listener knows Jordan's saying this because all of Forever Night is in fact set in Toronto <laughs> that's right that's right sorry I forgot to mention that it's set in Toronto yeah I had also never heard of this um, which is interesting because we were actually uh, contacted by a listener who suggested this years ago uh, a listener named Ryan who had said this might be up our alley and he was from the United States and he was just like and it's set in Toronto and then when I was posting for episode suggestions about what we should watch for Forever Night we had a lot of social media interaction around this people are really into Forever Night and primarily our American listeners well it's funny I uh, I mean we'll talk about this as we go through the show and I'm curious to know if this pilot is indicative, because um, these two episodes we're going to talk about are essentially one long pilot cut into two episodes, um, if it's indicative of what the show is going to be like. Because I looked through some reviews and fan comments and stuff, and they're almost universally not only uh, like positive reviews, but like glowing reviews. Like people talk about the acting and the tone and the cinematography and all these things. And I'll be honest, I don't know if I see all that in the pilot. <laughs> I think it struck a chord with people. I think it's yeah. probably hitting a certain tone at a right period of time for a certain demographic of people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll say this, Jordan. I think this is definitely not your kind of show. I don't think vampire shows in general are your kind of show. So I could see it being potentially not yours. But I do think it does have a certain style and a certain like aesthetic to it that uh, would appeal mm. to anyone who like is into a... Uh, melodrama about vampires that is a little bit sexy yeah. a little bit dark yeah well i mean i want to be also uh, as forgiving as i can for it because i know that this is clearly a show that doesn't have a tremendous budget it's an older show so you don't want to hold it up to you don't want to be too picky from a modern viewpoint on things um so i'll, I'll keep that in mind when I'm, uh, I'm i'm throwing punches you know fair enough i mean of the 90s vampire shows were you a big buffy fan were you a big angel fan uh, i did like buffy i never got into angel i think my brother watched all of that stuff but I, I i dropped out on buffy at a certain point i was just like uh, okay right 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 all right i liked it when it was fun i think i think what everyone who really likes buffy likes the later years when it got all dark that's when for me i was i sort of checked out because i was just like all right guys just kill some vampires i don't want to hear about you moping around yeah, yeah you just want like an auto man running about having adventures that's right that's exactly right <laughs> what about dark shadows are you a dark shadows man you know i never watched dark shadows i heard it was good though <laughs> all right well, Jordan, the series ran from May 5th, 1992 to May 17th, 1996. And this is a little bit I look, did look into. It's a bit of an odd duck of a series because despite it being set in Toronto, 
it is an entirely CBS produced first season of the show. So this is an American program that happened mm-hmm. to happen in Toronto and stayed set in Toronto. But then when it went to its second season, it was no longer on CBS. It just became first run syndication. Yeah. Which I am only vaguely aware of what that means, but I think they just sold it directly to stations and whoever would pay for it, if they sold enough of them, they would make a second season. Yeah, there was shows like uh, like a show like Baywatch, I'm pretty sure. It didn't have a network. It just was sold to show, to channels who would air it, right? And so I think way back in the, the day, and uh, someone who has maybe better talk show knowledge than me, I'm pretty sure back in the day, Arsenio Hall didn't have a channel. He was the same. He was a syndicated show who got picked up by stations, but he didn't have like, he wasn't on CBS like Letterman or uh, NBC like Leno. Oh, interesting. So yeah, so first season CBS, second season, they're selling it wherever they can. And then third season is on the USA Network. So this thing bounced all over the place. Oh, yeah, that's weird. But, I mean, it got three full seasons. I think almost, almost full three seasons. I think one episode, one season, like 22 episodes or something like that. I mean, still huge seasons of this show. So, I mean, kind of impressive, actually, for a show that didn't really seem to have a home to go three seasons and, like, just keep going. I mean, clearly a fan base. Yeah, I think it's the Eldorado. What do you think? Oh, the uh, their caddy they're driving around <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. The 1963 Cadillac Eldorado. That's his car. It's got great fins. I won't lie. I was when uh, when Skanky's really looking it over, being like, "I love this car." I'm like, I agree with him. It's a good looking car. Yeah. Well, Jordan, we've covered 13 other shows and TV movies oh, during no. the period of time that uh, Forever Night was on TV. So I'm not really going to go back and revisit the current events of this period because I think I think we've mm-hmm. covered it in the past over these things. So I, I'm not sure I want to go back and just relitigate that period of time. Right. So, uh, you know, what? I don't even remember. What are a few of the shows we watched during that time? I mean, let's be frank here, Jordan. Uh, Sliders, what we just walked away from, was definitely in that period of time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. And uh, I guess, was this late enough for, was Man and Machine on? Mm, yeah, Man and Machine would have been on. Tech War would have been on. Even Nightmare Cafe? Even First Wave, which we watched before Sliders was on. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, it's been about three years, I guess. Yeah. But, Jordan... Forever Night's pilot starts in Paris, twelve twenty-eight. So let's find out what was happening in the world when Nick, when Nicholas Knight became a vampire. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. So twelve twenty-eight, Jordan. The Sixth Crusade starts and ends in that year. Uh, the attempt to recapture Jerusalem. Yeah, I, I'm. If I remember my Crusade knowledge, I believe that was a failure uh, from the Roman Catholic Church. I don't think they recaptured Jerusalem. Mm, incorrect. Oh, they did. They did capture it. And it was not sanctioned by the Roman Catholic Church. They did this one independently. Oh, this was just for funsies. Yeah, they wouldn't. the church wouldn't sign off on this one. So the king's like, ah, fuck it, I'm going anyway. And I, I believe they did recapture Jerusalem. Well, and you know what? The good thing is that that area, it's been all peaceful since. That all worked out. <laughs> and on July 16th, 1228, Jordan, St. Francis of Assisi is canonized. Nice. Nice. He's a good one. You know what he's a painter saint of? Uh, he, well, he's like, is it animals? Yeah, they call him the patron saint of ecology. Of ecology? Oh, oh, weird. I think that might be a more recent update to the term. I think it might have been animals or something along those lines. And mm. he's now taken over all of ecology. Mm, okay. Well, he seemed, he seemed like an all right dude. Honestly, I only know his name because I believe he's the namesake of an elementary school in Edmonton where I grew up. Oh, is that right? But that's it. That's all I have for 1228. Well, it was a slower time. By the time you got the news, it was already 1229, you know? It's true. It's true. I mean, they were all busy with that one crusade. So what were, there wasn't a lot of time for other things. Yeah, the crusades. Not, not as fun as they'd seem. 
You think people were tired when they got around to like it's Crusade Part Six? They're like, how many of these do we gotta watch? Yeah, I think they're just like, didn't didn't it's just gonna turn around number seven? The other side's gonna gonna get it. And they're like, no 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 no, it was Jerusalem. They're like this, is what we're fighting over this over here? They're just like, oh, this uh, <laughs> never mind. I'm moving on. Is is it because what you're gonna say was offensive or just? <laughs> no, I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get my brain to work. I was gonna say, ah, oh, this uh, crusade expanded universe is really wearing me down. <laughs> That's pretty good. Hey Luke, I have a note here. I just want to say real quick, but I don't know what my note is. But I have a note, and it's here's what I wrote: Do assistant Lacroix impersonation for Luke. But I don't know what that means am i telling myself to do an impersonation of nigel bennett's lacroix but he's not an assistant i don't know what that note means that's very odd assistant lacroix yeah and i ha- and not only that i have it underlined but it did the <laughs> underline didn't didn't help me i don't remember what i was saying so this character you were in love with so much at the time you were going to do an impression of him and now you're not even sure who the character is. i don't even remember anyways let's get to the idb summary here is the IMDb summary for Season 1, Episode 1, Dark Knight. Nicholas seeks a mystical Mayan jade cup, which he believes holds the key to becoming human again. The nefarious vampire Lucian Lacroix will stop at nothing to see that Nicholas never obtains this precious relic. I mean, sure. You kind of figure out that's the plot by the second episode, maybe. But uh, let me just say something real quick. The, the actual title to this episode is Dark Knight, right? Dark Knight Part 1, Part 2? Uh, this was just part. This is just Dark Knight. Uh, the second episode oh. is Dark Knight Chapter Two. Oh, Chapter Two. Excuse me. But this is part of as we saw on the the YouTube video we're watching. It says at the very beginning of the video, "Crime Time After Prime Time." It was like part of like whatever a block of TV. That's a better title for this episode. Crime Time After Prime Time. Well, they had a lot of things in the Crime Time After Prime Time. I believe uh, what was it called? Um, MacGyver's Wife. What was that show called? With Kate McGrew. MacGyver's Wife. Or not Kate McGrew. What? No, what was it? Mrs. Columbo or something? Oh, Mrs. Columbo. Oh, with Kate Mulgrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that was under here. All, all the great crime shows on CBS. I like a, a, a Mrs. MacGyver, though. That was a good show. It was show. called MacGyver's Wife. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was Mrs. MacGyver to be. Anyways, we start in Paris. It's 1228. Yes, it's Paris. It's 1228. We'll come back to this throughout the episode, but I'm just going to get it all the way now. Because essentially mm-hmm. what it is, is um, you're seeing our main character, Nicholas Nick Knight, if you will, become a vampire. Mm-hmm. It's a classic scene. Uh, the evil vampire, Lacroix, has sired him. And um, it's very funny. I mean, A, his name is Lacroix or Lacroix. I don't know how to pronounce it. Oh, Luke, I just, I know what my note is. <laughs> Go for it. Do your impression. What it is is it, this is this is only going to be funny to me. But there's an assistant that came to work uh, with me a, a few years ago, and she was from Los Angeles, and she had that weird Los Angeles affect, you know, affected sort of voice. And she would always mention to me how many different flavors of Lacroix there were in the uh, fridge in LA, as to tell us that when she was working here in Canada, that it wasn't as good. And that's what I kept thinking of every time they said Lacroix, I thought of this this woman, and she would say it like this. She'd go, there's so many more flavors of Lacroix in Los Angeles. That's what she said to me daily. <laughs> and that's and, and so that was what my note was. Have you had a, have you had a Lacroix before? Yes, I have, it's fine. I would argue there are no flavors of Lacroix. They're just <laughs> scents and then the taste of rusty nails in a can. 
<laughs> I think they're all right. Anyway, she thought there was lots of flavors in, in Los Angeles. Anyways, <laughs> hey, I'm so glad I know what my note is now. <laughs> yeah, I kept also thinking of the fizzy water drink. I'm like, this yeah. is very funny. LaCroix, he's a classic vampire. He's been at it for years. I believe at some point he gives a speech where he talks about hanging out with like Nero, Charlemagne, and Genghis Khan. So you know he's been at it for years. Didn't that remind you of the um, that Transverse uh, uh, Rex stuff, the, the the steel robot uh, show we watched? What was it called? Um, uh, 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 uh. What was the one where the guy dreamed up a robot that could shoot cars? Oh, a Truckosaurus. Truckosaurus, whatever that was. Th- that was the same speech. Steel Justice, Jordan. Steel Justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the same speech where the guy wanted to show how long he's been around. So he starts, like, throwing up these historical things. I'm like, how come everyone who's been around for every, like, for hundreds of years has seen everything? I'm like, you could have been around for hundred years and not seen anything. Yeah, that's the same speech that the bad guy in Time Cop gives. <laughs> it's true. Well, that's true. No, if you've been around a long time, you've hung out with Genghis Khan. You guys chilled. Yeah. And, of course, also there, who's not very much in these next two episodes, but I'm assuming we'll come back more, is uh, Nick's ex-girlfriend, a vampire named Jeanette. And it's weird, yeah, because they don't make it very explicit at all, huh? Like, it's like, she's kind of there. I think at the very beginning, they do say they love each other, but it's all very, like, overwrought and tense. And then when we do eventually see her, which I think is like an episode from now, or at least at the end of this episode... They're, like, kind of cagey with one another. And I was like, whoa, I guess we'll see some backstory in future episodes as to what kind of happened with these two. I mean, I see what you're saying. It definitely don't get a lot of information about it. But I will give it to this episode for one thing is we meet these characters in the flashback. And then uh, we jump forward. And we're in Toronto current day. And we almost immediately meet all of the main characters there. So they're really just trying to, like, introduce you to everybody yeah. you need to know in the first five minutes. And I, I think they do a relatively effective job because... You get this flashback, you meet Nick. In 1228, this is the night he became a vampire. And he was really hesitant to kill after he became a vampire, but he was just so thirsty for human blood. And we just all you need to know from this flashback is just like, he's always been conflicted about killing. Yeah, that's basically it. I think, and I, I assume throughout the rest of the show, uh, not to, to ruin the end of this about his like quest for ending his immortality, but I think that's probably going to be his, his running theme, right? Is that there's always going to be a B-plot of like, he wants to not be a vampire anymore. Yeah, I think, I think it's pretty clear we're going to get flashbacks to different times in the past when Nick was dealing with some vampire-related issue that, you know, correlates. It's a classic trope in these mm-hmm. kind of things, particularly for vampire things, is you can show them in the Crusades being sad about something. And you know how you know it was uh, 1228 in uh, Paris? There was a lot of uh, candles and, uh, and uh, drapes. Oh, well, and Quasimodo was there hanging out. <laughs> I wish. You're ringing that bell. Better show. Sung us a little song, sung a little Disney tune for him. <laughs> oh, it's Disney Quasimodo. That's the only one I know. Mm. <laughs> You're a big fan of the original book. I'm the big fan of the original. Make them grosser. <laughs> anyway, in current day Toronto, where the story mostly takes place, it starts off at the Royal Ontario Museum, or ROM <laughs> as we call it. <laughs> yeah, it's at the ROM. And we get the POV of someone breaking into the museum, stealing a jade cup artifact, and then killing a security guard. And, you know, the mystery is on now. Yeah. And I, I can't remember if we see it here, but we will see um, what I would call like vampire vision, which anytime someone's like a vampire looking at something, they kind of do an effect where it's like uh, everything is sort of overblown. And but it's but it's been I mean, tinted red. 
So there's like a, a weird vampire view. Do we get that from this this first attack? Yeah, we get a little tease of vampire vision. It's a, if you're looking through a vampire's eyes, everything's a little bit redder than you'd expect. Yeah, because of blood, you know. Yeah, because of blood. Yeah. Anyway, we cut to Detective Nick Knight showing up to the scene. He's a he's a detective. He's uh, investigating the crime scene, and this is the fourth murder where the victim has been drained of blood. Um, but as we'll come to learn, it's also the first victim with uh, puncture marks in its neck. So. Uh, the rest have had their necks slashed, but this one has had a drained vampire style. But we learned something very interesting about uh, Nick and uh, a couple things. One, his powers and also how, how he is as a police officer, because he's, uh, he sort of shows up to the, the crime scene and there's reporters there and they're asking questions. And one of the reporters is like, is this another vampire murder? And uh, they sort of like keep pestering him. And he sort of looks at her and uses his like vampire Jedi mind trick to sort of tell her like, no, no, you're going to go home. Stop asking me questions. And, and that's it. Like that works. So like, do you think that's going to be his thing from now on? That's how he just gets people off his case. Jordan, do you not know what the name of this vampire power is? No. What is it? It's called glamoring, Jordan. Is that what it is? Glamoring? Didn't you watch True Blood or really any <laughs> vampire thing? I can't remember. Sure. I, I saw, I saw an episode of True Blood maybe. <laughs> it's glamoring. Anyways, he glamours her big time. Yes, exactly. He can get her off his case, which I thought was great. I was just like, he just sends this like, don't you want to go home? And she's like, yes, I do. I'm like, right. Problem solved. I actually thought there was something kind of interesting about that, that maybe they missed a term because later on they have to have the uh, lieutenant or whoever he is kind of be like, hey, uh, you know, he's, he's given a, 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 the litany of excuses. He's like, uh, you said you only could work at night. So I let you do this. And you said you had to do this. And I let you do that. But I thought it would have really should have been is that he just uh, glamored the guy. And then that's why he, that's how he has, you know why he has what he has well i will say for the first 10 to 15 minutes of this pilot because you know this reporter refers to them as vampire murders yeah everyone's always making strange references to like flying away and things i wasn't 100 percent sure for the first 10 minutes whether people knew he was a vampire or not i thought maybe everybody knew about vampires in this world for like 10 minutes of this pilot well it's it's not clear and i think uh we'll agree the only person who really who really knows he's a vampire is uh it's dr natalie lambert right who we're gonna meet yes the cor- the coroner seems to know uh she has been trying to help nick regain his mortality basically uh, th- i think from what i can tell most of her trial so far has been trying to convince him to like drink tea and eat human food which he doesn't have a taste for yeah and I- i'm gonna give it to the show and give him a little benefit of the doubt that this will get better but they sort of have like a uh, jovial playfulness between these two and they kind of make like cutting jokes to one another i i think they have zero chemistry so i don't think any of these kind of jokes land at all but i will again i'll reserve judgment on this a little bit for maybe some future episodes but i'm kind of hoping these will land a little bit better they're just like i don't know they're like trying to throw zingers at each other and i was just like i don't it seems like these two just met <laughs> i thought it was a real will they won't they scenario did you I mean, I could tell that that's what I think what was happening there. It's like a little bit of romance between them. But, well, one, he's a vampire, so they always want to be sexy. And two, he's going to be all sexy with someone else later on. Now, there's also the police captain who you were referring to earlier. You called him lieutenant, but he's the captain. Uh, Joe Stonetree. Sorry. Um, played by character actor Gary Farmer, who people might have most recently seen in Reservation Dogs. But he's in lots of stuff. You You probably will recognize him. That's right, yeah. I was unclear as well. Is you're right. There's a scene where Stone Tree says, "I let you work nights because you can't because you're allergic to sun and all this stuff." But there's a later part of this episode where, when talking to another detective on the force, Stone Tree gives a speech where he talks about like 
not uh, like an old wives tale about not uh, messing with the scorpions and when the detective shows up and says that he thought he saw something strange about Nick Knight like he detective's like I thought I saw him do something odd very you know he doesn't say vampire like but he, he notices Nick doing something very that when he's in vampire mode and the captain sort of talks the man out of thinking about that he's just like it's best not to deal with that and I couldn't tell if that meant Stone Tree was onto the fact he was a vampire or not yeah, we're talking about uh, the sea where he flies later, right? Yes. Yeah, I I thought the same thing because we'll we'll talk about it more when we get to it. But I I I think this was part of it that didn't hold up very well. But you you raise an interesting point because yes, they have this weird sort of conversation. I actually think maybe you're giving it too much benefit of the doubt. I think it was just a way for them to go. Eh, these characters don't need to talk about it because this is a huge plot hole. That's what I think. I guess so, but I don't know. It felt to me like they were trying to seed something with Stone Tree just because there's no reason for that scene because you don't actually see that detective see the vampire. Like, the scene doesn't need to exist because no one saw anything really from what we saw. So I don't know. I just, I have a sense maybe that Stone Tree maybe knows he's a vampire. Right. Well, we'll, we'll I'm sure that we'll, let, we'll find out in future episodes. Yes, yes. Um, but at any rate, these vampire murders or these throat-slashing murders, these blood-draining murders, they're all big news. The mayor is really on Captain Stone Tree's case. <laughs> so because Nick only works nights, he can only be on night shift. <laughs> uh, Stone Tree's decided to pair him with a detective uh, as a partner, and that is the obnoxious Detective Don Skanky. And Skanky's a real, a real piece of work. Yeah. <sighs> I, I'm hoping he's going to become a little bit more lovable as the show goes on because, like, I know this actor. I just, I, the character is just so repulsive. I can't stand him. <laughs> it's a real, he really is just going for just like, I'm the most obnoxious person you've ever worked with. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that as the show goes on, you know, a lot of times when you watch pilots, the characters get adjusted or they get uh, sanded down a little bit. And I, I'm hoping that's what's going to happen about him as he's a major character, as he's the partner. Um, but in this, in these two episodes, he's just like, he's just there to be annoying. I can't remember a character whose core motivation when you meet him is uh, how much he likes Slovakia. He just keeps talking about it. Well, I think is, is the joke is that he's Greek. Is that the joke? I think that might be the joke. Yeah. Because you know everyone, Greek people can't stop eating Greek food. You know that stereotype. They love that Slovakia. <laughs> That's like, okay, sure. I've never heard the word used more in a TV series. Yeah, they say it all the time. But anyway, really at this point, we've now met all the key cast. I was like, impressive. Mm-hmm. This is it. We know everybody who's going to be on the show now. Yeah, you got your vampires in the past who are still living. You got Nick, who is a tortured vampire, and you got all his police cohorts. And the plot of the show really is that the killer's been on the loose. He's mostly been killing uh, unhoused people with uh, O-negative blood. And, you know, Nick has a few friends on the streets, some street people he hangs out with, apparently. Yeah, and that was weird, right? They, they It wasn't so much that they implied, like, those were informants to him. They implied, like, they have a friendship, which was fine. I'm not saying you can't be friends with someone who is homeless, but there was something weird, like, it felt like there was like a line of dialogue or something missing to kind of explain what this relationship was because I don't even think I think they they said like they sometimes stayed at his place or something right well Nick had been trying to get them to stay in his garage because he was been worried about because he knows the serial killers killing people on the streets he's worried about them but they won't stay in his garage because they like the freedom of living on the streets <laughs> and I don't know I don't know if you've noticed this Jordan but there there are three homeless people he's friends with there's Jeannie mm-hmm. played by Esri Dax herself, Nicole DeBoer. I knew that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Very, very young, huh? 
Did you notice she's going by Nikki DeBoer in the show? Oh, I didn't know. There's uh, Topper, great name, uh, played by Zach Ward, a redheaded character actor from uh, Christmas Story. Oh, is that right? Yeah, you'd recognize him from a whole bunch of things, but I, he was very young here again. And then there's uh, another Canadian character actor who I don't know his name, but I've seen him in lots of stuff. But he's playing a character named Dr. Dave. That's right, Dr. Dave. Hey, about Topper, was that the name of the guy from the arm wrestling? Uh, not the arm wrestling, the pool movie where they cut each other's fingers off? Was his name Topper? <laughs> I don't remember, but it, Topper would have fit in that world, no problem. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's just for me. But Nick sort of has these people, and this is and these are the stakes of the episode, basically. Is he's met, he has these friends on the street, and he's worried that this uh, serial killer might harm them. Mm-hmm. And as Nick starts his first shift with Skanky, uh, they hit the town into that big old caddy that they're just, they won't shut up about. The entire episode is basically talking about how nice this car is. Well, it is a good looking. It's it's a it's a green 1963 uh, convertible Cadillac that has a white top. It's a very classic looking car, and I think... I hope it kind of, uh, it's sort of like, um, uh, it's a little bit of a character. I think it's a nice, I don't exactly know why he drives it. Like, I mean, they make a joke later that it's because it's a big trunk and I guess he occasionally sleeps in it if he, if it's sunlight out, that's kind of the thing. But I feel like there's, I don't know, it's, it's a good looking car. I don't know if it exactly mixes with uh, old uh, Nick Knight's personality, but. It's that for that trunk, baby. They talk about how big that trunk is. <laughs> yeah. And, and to, to be fair, they do do the payoff later on when he has to get in the trunk. And uh, later in the episode, too, Skanky will give a monologue about a lost summer he had driving one of them around Wisconsin. That's right. He has a, he has a real wistful moment while driving. People just won't shut up about this car in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we get to see the kind of their oil and water personalities. Like, you know, this is definitely the odd couple of this of the show, these, these two partners put together. I think my favorite obnoxious scene with Skanky is he's... Uh, Eating raw garlic because his wife's recommended for his health, but he like eats a whole clove of it and it just blows his breath into <laughs> Nick Knight's face. And I'm just like, oh my god! Imagine having to work with this man. Yeah, and and there's there, why does he do that? He's just annoying. That's why. He's just a jerk. He's just a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I am sure I worked with someone like this before. Yeah, have you really? I feel like I have. I feel like I've definitely worked with a guy who thought he was funny and would just like be a jerk. <laughs> I love people like that. Are they hilarious? Yeah, they're the best to work with. They're your best co <laughs> Hey, I'd, uh, we haven't introduced the one character, though. We haven't introduced the, the museum lady. Now, nah, let's come back to her. She's so uh, okay. weirdly everywhere in this episode. I, <laughs> okay. I, let's stick with Nick and uh, let's stick with Nick and Shanky for a second. Uh, they're out on patrol. Nick's old vampire vision comes into comes into play. He gets that sort of red POV comes over. And I guess he has superhuman vampire hearing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And as they're driving around, they hear a crime in progress. Uh, they drive over to Chinatown, where a man who has been smoking crack for 32 hours has taken a hostage with a submachine gun. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's that it's that scene from RoboCop where the guy is. Uh, it's it's the same thing. And Nick, of course, the only way to save her is Nick has to go into uh, full vampire mode. So he asks uh, Shanky to distract the criminal, and then he grows fangs and gets yellow eyes. And he starts to fly, which I was just like, oh, my God, these vampires fly, too. I love it. So so here's what we were talking about before, where from what we do as a viewer, Skanky doesn't actually see Nick do his vampire stuff. So so Nick shows up outside the window, floats onto whatever they're on. Let's say he third flies up to the third floor behind the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, kind of breaks through the window, grabs the guy and throws him out the window. And then the guy lands in the garbage and, and is 
we assume subsequently arrested, right? Essentially. Here's here's my point. So I agree that Skanky probably didn't see him do this, right? Now, my point, though, is as as someone who is trying not to be a vampire, or not, not to let people know he's a vampire, it's his secret identity, why would he have resorted to that as the, as the first option? I'm assuming he has multiple vampire options that he has, and let's say that is his only way of doing it. How is he going to explain in his police report that he got up outside the window? Even if no one saw him do it, was he going to say, I scaled the three windows and broke through and threw the guy through? I assume you just say, uh, for some reason, the perp fell out a window. <laughs> Right. Well, that was that was just my thing. Like, I don't even know how, what he says to anybody. He's like, well, like, how did you do? Were you inside or outside? He was like, I was inside. He's like, but, but the only door was the door we were at. It's like, I it just it didn't make any sense to me. Hey, the night shift's wacky time, man. Nobody knows what's <laughs> happening when you write those reports. <laughs> man, I wish you were at the desk. You, you were getting that, letting everything go. <laughs> I really loved when they cut to showing the wire work of Nick flying around outside in that alley. It was so funny. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, what, what do we say overall as when Nick becomes a vampire, his eyes go what? They go yellow, I think. Yeah, they go yellow. And he gets little fangs. He has the same problem I think everyone does. Um all Klingons do too with sort of like extra teeth and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a little he's a little rageful. Yeah, he's he's okay. But how do you what, do you like his uh, vampire transformation? I thought it was okay. It wasn't terrible. I liked how they shot it. Like there's a as he's flying around they're doing this like not the best wire work, but it was kind of fun to watch him just like like stiffly flying through the air and they do this great shot where it's just like they shot the actor with his vampire eyes yellow eyes big teeth and he's on a black screen and the camera just pans past him like it's it's like a 1940s vampire film or something i really like that Mm. Hmm. Hmm. i think you might have liked it more than i did it's very low budget but i I, it made me laugh i'm just like they're really they're really just doing the best they can with the like uh, dollars they have right fair enough but yes jordan you mentioned her earlier there's a curator at the museum. Um, she's been introduced earlier because she works there and she told them about this Jade Cup. But essentially, uh, at this point in the episode, she's calling up Nick. She's asking Nick to drop by the ROM again. Come back by, past the Royal Ontario Museum and let's have a chat. Um, because she mm. has some information about the missing cup to tell him. Um, but also, mostly, she's calling him for a makeout session. Like, she just wants a piece of Nick Knight. <laughs> yeah, and he gets to do his, like... Again, not very good hiding. He's a an immortal person by like showing off his historical knowledge of like all the little pieces of uh, the things that are there in the museum. Yeah, well, that's just it. It's just like a ton of exposition here. Is this this missing cup is a part of a set of two that is uh, the history of it is is if you pour blood from one cup to the other cup, you can cure vampirism. So you kind of know why the cup's missing now, and. They talk about an old-timey expedition that went out to find the cups before, and uh, she's got a book that she's looking through of the original expedition, and there's clearly a photo of Nick in it. Well, which is funny, because they do this, and I think it's like a right-before-commercial break sort of thing. She looks through it, she finds a picture. It's exactly like him. Like, there's no question it's him, and it doesn't really come up again. She's just like, huh, that was interesting. Yeah, she doesn't she ask about it. Yeah. But what it is, is we, we do get a scene after the cup goes missing when we're not sure who the murderer is, where Nick's at home pouring some blood into an identical cup. But this is explaining why Nick has an identical cup. Is he previously did an expedition to try to find the cups, only found one of them, and now the second one is missing. So it's kind of setting the stakes now. It's like, we know Nick's been around for a long time. He's been trying to find these two cups. They're both in Toronto now. And if he can just find the second one, he'll become mortal. Yeah. How do you think the cups know? How do you think the cups know the difference in, you know, one cup to another? Like, couldn't you just substitute a mug? Well, they're this special jade. They're made out of the same piece of jade, Jordan. Yeah. I'm just saying. Let's say you get another piece of jade. 
I'm, I think you could fool these mugs. That's what I'm saying. So you think the mugs are sentient? They're choosing to end members. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how it works. Is all. <laughs> They're old Mayan technology, Jordan. We don't remember how they work. Right, right. You're right. Sorry, I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't uh, discredit it. And as Nick's there at the museum that night, he's making out with that uh, with that curator. She's. It's great. I love how there's no pretext. She just calls him up, and even on the message, she's just like, "Hey, you want to come by tonight? I'm just working late." We can talk about the case, you know, maybe have some wine or something like she's just like calling him up to make out. And then they do. But what we learned is that if uh, if Nick's baking out with someone and it's getting a little hot and heavy, he's going to turn into a vampire and he's going to have to fight his urge to bite. Yeah, yeah, of course. Once you're getting hot and heavy, you got to got to stop that urge to bite. <laughs> yeah, the fangs come out. But that night, the street kids, Genie and Topper are attacked um, and Later, Topper's body will be found drained of blood in a barrel. He must have been O negative, I guess. And uh, Genie is missing. And what we get to see is after his, after their deaths, uh, the mobile blood donation RV is driving away. <laughs> yeah, but I like the scene where Dick shows up um, and he finds out that they're missing, and he is at eleven. And I've never we never see the actor and the character before or after be this upset. It's like they were like, you've never been more angry about anything in your life. That's how that's how he treats the scene. Well, he he offered them that garage, and now they're they're dead, and it's all his fault. He could have saved them, Jordan. He could have saved them. He was just like, where is she? He's like, oh my gosh, calm down. Nick Detective. was very upset about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. But with all this information about the cop and his missing friends, Nick is pretty much suspicious that his his old maker, LaCroix, is involved. And Nick knows LaCroix has always been trying to stop him from regaining his humanity. Back when he was trying to get those two jade cups, LaCroix apparently showed up, killed a bunch of people, and, like, stopped him from completing his archaeological dig. So Nick's trying to figure out where LaCroix is. And he, he goes to visit his old vampire girlfriend, Jeanette, who's uh, now running a nightclub <laughs> called The Raven. Now, I like this because if a vampire is going to have a modern job, Nightclub is like top three guesses. It's giving nightclub. Oh, this is a classic move. If you got a vampire yeah. who's living in modern day, they better run a nightclub. This is blade yeah. all over the place. Yeah, if it's an underground nightclub, all the better. Everyone should be wearing leather. Yeah, a hundred percent. I does yeah. suffer from a problem we've seen in other shows. I, I it popped to mind was uh what was that one where the uh, claymation creatures came to life? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but I know the one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Danger Squad, Danger Danger team. Danger, danger Team. Yeah. The uh, underground nightclub is a little too sparsely sparsely <laughs> right. crowded, but that's okay. He 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 came at three in the morning. It really gets going at four. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tried not to linger on it, mm-hmm. but essentially, uh, Jeanette says, "Yeah, of course, Lacroix's in town. He's always trying to get back together with you. He misses you." Um, but she's she's very doubtful. He's the serial killer who's killed all of these homeless people. Yeah. So Nick gets in his car to drive away from the nightclub, and as he flips on the radio. Why? Who's on the Who's on the old radio? It's Lacroix hosting a late night metal show under his moniker, the Nightcrawler. Yeah, I don't know. I I didn't. I I just didn't like this because it felt like Nick wasn't propelling the action at all. Like he's just like walking around, like I can't find anything, and then it just happens that this guy has a radio show because he like wants to be found. Like he didn't do any investigative work at all. Like I was just like, I don't know, just lame. I mean, this is very convenient because essentially he hears Lacroix on the radio, and Lacroix literally sends a personal message to Nick that he happened to tune into, plays right. him a violin song, and says, I've been in town three weeks and we haven't hung out. Where are you, buddy? <laughs> yeah, it's like, so he got a job as a radio DJ just to send this message? Apparently, he's been broadcasting it every night for three weeks. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, like, he's like, I didn't mean to, but my ratings are going really well. 
<laughs> and it's very funny. And this is the end of ep- the first episode. So this is like a cliffhanger. Lacrosse in town. What's Nick going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know they kind of set it up like it's it's now the the halfway part of this because the second episode is the second part. I do feel like maybe Lacroix came in a little late. Personally, I feel like there should have been like if he was going to be someone who teases him like through this radio show, he should have been teasing him from the beginning instead of being like, you know, being like, hey, it's me the whole time. It's me. Come get me. It's true. If if maybe Nick had always been listening to this metal show and it always had a yes. DJ named Nightcrawler and then by the end of it, we realize Nick's always known he's there. He's been avoiding him. But something now like we that. see yeah. it at the end, right? Yeah, something like that. Um, now, one episode in, uh, we're going to go to episode two. How do you feel about Nick as a lead, as uh, the actor's um, uh, Geraint Win davies How do you feel about Nick Knight? I'll be honest. I know you're not loving the show, but I'm watching it. And I, vampire the vampire genre isn't necessarily my genre, but I'm watching this and I'm just like, this is clicking a lot of boxes, I think, for this genre. Yeah. I don't I don't mind this guy. He's 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 got the right level of like what you want in a vampire lead and that he's like this tortured sexy soul. Like I think he's he's doing his best to deliver that. I think they didn't do a bad job in casting him. He's not like full of star power, but I think he delivers when he needs to. Yeah, I'm waiting for him to win be over. So far he hasn't. I mean, he's no Greg Evigan is what I'm saying. <laughs> and I think it's I think it's a hard role. And I, I don't know. I, he hasn't he hasn't quite won me over. I find him a little dull, I'll be honest. As as our star of the show, I think um, Skanky's, as obnoxious as he is, is more interesting to watch than him. I guess so. I think this is the kind of role you want. Like, I don't know if you ever watched True Blood, but this is very similar to the lead in True Blood, uh, Vampire Bill. Right. He's a very just, like, melodic, like, kind of downtrodden, like, depressive who like you know doesn't give you a lot because he's he's just so sad about being a vampire, and I see that right. a lot of that same character trait in this character. Right. So so maybe that's what it is. Maybe I don't appreciate what people want of the genre uh, of the of the vampire. Like woe is me. Because my note here at the end was I know he's supposed to be angsty, but man oh man is he dull. That's my note. Yeah. This, I think this is pretty par for the course. For whatever reason, I think this is the. The traditional lead character in this kind of this kind of like mm. soap opera vampire show. Right. Okay. All right. Here's the next episode. The IND summary for season one, episode two, Dark Knight, the second chapter. All I want is the cup. I don't think you know what you want. You never have. Immortality. Wasn't that your big wish? To live forever. To never have to wind up like this. I gave that to you. What did I get in return? Desertion. Hatred. Contempt. A beautiful museum curator becomes involved in Nicholas's search for the elusive Mayan goblet. Her life and the fate of the cup are threatened by the scheming Lacroix. Do we need to say she's beautiful? I mean, she's so gorgeous, Jordan. We gotta tell everybody. I'm just saying, she's a curate. She's done for a fine for herself. She doesn't need to make a comment on her appearance, you know? I know. She's got that doctorate. She's doing just fine. She's a <laughs> single lady. She's she's calling men up she wants to make out with and just having them over. She's she's a powerful person. Yeah. The the calling vampires over is a character flaw. I'll say that. Well, she doesn't necessarily know he's a vampire. She just knows she's he's a real dark and dreamy dreamboat who she can fix. She should know he's a vampire because she saw a picture of him from <laughs> from that expedition. I'm sure he was just like, oh, that's just my grandfather. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You got to talk that away. Anyway, 
The episode starts, and Nick is now following LaCroix into a slaughterhouse for a confrontation over the cup. And this just felt like a huge narrative jump, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, and it's like, but the, the place is weird, though. It's like, that's what's supposed to be a slaughterhouse, right? But it's like, it's a warehouse that occasionally has, like, kind of pigs hanging up. I guess I guess it was like a budgetary thing, but it, it it was it just a way to show him like drinking blood out of that that goblet. Was that was that the whole point of it? Well, they needed apparently a confrontation. But where we left off the last episode is Nick discovering Lacroix is in town hosting this radio show, and then like we basically pick up the next episode. Like it sort of ends on that cliffhanger. And the next episode, he's chasing him through alleys into this like a slaughterhouse. And then the museum curator, the museum curator, the museum curator is chasing behind them. Like she's stalking Nick and LaCroix out of, I don't know how she got there, how she knows to follow yeah. them. I don't know. Like, it's like four scenes are missing and the episode has started in the middle of it. Well, I think, it, I think it's part of the problem with the first episode too, is that he's not really doing an investigation. So they're just like, okay, he needs to find him. He's a radio show. And then... He knows he's around now, so he just knows where to find him. And we don't see any of those, any of that connective tissue at all. So you're right. It's just like, he's just walking an alley and we see Lerquois and you're like, oh, there there he is. I guess I guess he knows where he is now. It's an interesting idea to start like media and res like this. I'm not against it necessarily. It, it just felt very, the more I thought about it, the more jarring it felt that to have gone from him hearing the radio show to just like this sudden like chase through an alley. I was like, I feel like something happened that I missed. I'll say also uh, to say it's a chase is being very forgiven. It's more of like a sauntering walk. <laughs> but I do. You mentioned this, Jordan. I do really like how Lacroix at some point during their conversation he has a ladle that he just dips into a vat yeah. of pig's blood and takes a drink out of. And I was like, this is pretty funny. Well, and and the point of it is really is that we're going to find out that Nick is uh, quite weak because he's been refusing to drink blood because it's again it's his sort of moral uh quandary he has about uh surviving you know and the way he has to do it which is you know drinking blood so he's so because of this he's weak and thus he's now uh having a confrontation confrontation with are we gonna say lacroix lacroix what are we calling him i'm gonna go back and forth i can't i'm not gonna stick to one okay let's say lacroix he uh uh he basically won't be able to physically fight him because he's too weak yeah i mean that's a lot of the back and forth of their relationship in general is just that you know, LaCroix thinks Nick is squandering his vampire gifts and that Nick should give in to his vampire urges. And Nick doesn't want to do that. He wants to become mm-hmm. mortal again. And this is not that it's necessarily like a battle to death between them, but it, it seems to be just a general like disagreement about like how Nick is leaving his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then, and then Museum Lady just knows to be there. And she unfortunately kind of just becomes like the damsel in distress. She's just an, an issue for, for now Nick to have to... Uh, a complication he has to like save her at some point yeah and that's what's so odd about it It just feels so random that she's there like there's no indication of why she would be based on the last episode it, it does this is why it feels like an area of jump like how on earth did she end up in this situation who's to say but what we do learn is that lacroix did in fact steal the second jade cup and did kill that security guard but he explains to nick that he didn't kill anyone else. It's just a coincidence. He he accidentally got involved in the serial killer crime. He literally was just there to get that cup to prevent Nick from becoming human. And this is just an oopsie on his part. I do like that. I do like the idea that he's also a murderer, but just happened to accidentally murder in the same pattern as another murderer. He's like, oopsie, that one's on me. 
Yeah, he's just like, I 100% killed that security guard. But, like, all those homeless people, like, dude, that's not me. I Like, you still got a mystery to solve, I'm afraid. I, I do like the idea, though, if he didn't say that, the police, I'm sure, still would have connected them all and be like, it's clearly the same guy doing all the killings. <laughs> but as we've said, the curator is hiding up in the rafters of this slaughterhouse. And when she sees them, like, becoming vampires, they, like, they, be, they Nick turns on his vampire face. She screams <laughs> and... Uh, this reveals her being there, and uh, LaCroix sees his opportunity to, like, put Nick in a tough position. So he, like, leaps up into the rafters, grabs her, and he tells Nick, he's like, you've got two choices here. You either save this woman or you become human because I'm going to throw the jade cup in the air, and you can only you can only save one of them. Yeah. Now, now we'll, we'll say what Nick, yeah, his choice is, but Luke, you're in this situation. You're a vampire. You've been around for uh, 700 years. You have a chance of, of uh, ending your suffering or this lady you just met l- last night. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to say, Jordan, given how this episode turns out, he made the wrong choice. I agree. I agree. He should have went for the cup. But yes, he saves the curator and the cup smashes to the ground. And I was just like, the MacGuffin of episode one, that Nick needs this cup to become human, is destroyed and removed from the show in the first five minutes of episode two. And I'm just like all of that setup about him needing this cup is just, it's just gone so fast. And so like, it's not even treated like dramatically. It just smashes. And they're like, Oh, I guess that's it. I guess I don't become human. And Nick just shrugs it off. And, and I think I could be wrong, but I think the reason they did that is because they sort of set it up. Like this was his one chance, but I have a feeling that in subsequent episodes, it's going to keep coming up. He's going to have multiple chances over and over and over to become human again. That's what I think it is. I think you're right. It's just like it's treated like with Noah Plum. I think that's going to happen over and over and over. I'll see if I'm wrong, but that's what I think. I don't think you're wrong. I think he's going to have many chances. There's going to be many ways to become human he's going to pursue. It was just so odd because like the serial killer in the first episode, that that is the plot, but it's the B plot. The A plot is Nick trying to become human and needing the second cup and someone has stolen it. To, like, just, like, destroy the A-plot in the first five minutes of your, like, second episode. It was just, like, it's so strange. And it really is because they're just, like, we need to get back to solving the mystery of the Steel Killer. So they really just want to tie up all the loose ends of the A-plot from the first episode in just the quickest, like, least dramatic way possible. I was very surprised. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. It's it's They chose the least dramatic way possible to, to, to resolve things. Yeah, he seems very nonchalant about it being destroyed. At any rate, hmm. uh, LaCroix and Nick finally get in a tussle. Uh, Nick throws uh, LaCroix into a meat hook and impales him on the on a wall and then leaves him there. Uh, it was fine. I liked watching him get impaled. That was fun. I agree. I thought the fight scene was pretty well done. Um, but this just means that Nick has to leave. And because we've had this weird narrative jump where we don't know where we are or the time or the place or how Nick got here, as he walks to the slaughterhouse, he's just like, oh, no, the sun's coming up. And they do the classic, like, smoking jacket thing in a, in a low-budget vampire thing where he's, mm-hmm. he's smoking, he's running through the sunlight, and he climbs into the caddy of his trunk to avoid the sun. And, um, you know, he's going to spend a good chunk of this episode just hiding in the trunk of this car. But th- this was such an odd choice because it's it really amounts to nothing because it's not like he solves the case because he's in the trunk or we learn something about him because he's in the trunk or anything to that fact. It's literally just taking your star character out of the show for a large chunk of time so he could be in the trunk like for nappy time. Yeah, it's an odd choice. I mean, it does give some of the other characters some room to breathe and us to get to know them a little bit. But it was just strange coming off the end of the last episode and then this weird narrative jump 
these things happen. We don't know where we are. And then suddenly he's just like, oh, the sun's coming up. I'm like, it is? What do you mean? And then he has to hide it. I was like, it all felt very like discordant and like jarring. And it was such a weird way to start the second part of an episode where like there was at least a rhythm to the previous episode. And that rhythm is just like, they're like, never mind. Don't worry about that. Chaos. Yeah. Now, now we're going to get a lot of scenes of, of a Skanky just driving the car. Did you think this was weird of him to just be like, well, he's not around. I'll just drive his car around. Uh, I thought that was within his character. Like, the whole thing is that, like, everyone at the police station is wondering what happened to Nick. He didn't call in. Everyone's like, huh, he's, he seems to be missing. But they get a call that his ca- caddy has been towed to the police impound. And Skanky goes over there. And I thought it was funny. I thought it was in character. Skanky's there to pick up the car. And he gets in the car, picks up the radio in Nick's car, and just calls in. He's like, yo, I'm just going to go for a joyride in Nick's car. Don't tell him. And the operator's like, or the uh, the uh, dispatcher's Dispatch. just like, oh, uh, I guess so. We'll let you know if we need you. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. And, and the point is also that this car is so great. Like, you would do the same. Like, a 63 uh, a soft top Cadillac, you would do the same. I guess so, yeah. I mean, I felt it was a, a sign of uh, Skanky's personality, which I think you see all the time, is... He is, you know, he's got a big mouth. He's got a big head about himself. But he's also very jealous of everyone around him at all times. So mm. I, I don't know. I, I I believe that he'd, like, be a jerk and take your, like, nice car out for a tooling drive because he wanted to. I guess. The important thing is we go to, um, uh, uh, we go to what is, I think, the, the show's biggest attempt at being, like, uh, kind of like experimental with the way they film stuff because we get like a POV shot of a blood cart being pushed around this this uh, what is like blood bank I guess it's called yeah well they're at the hospital and we see a, a blood carping thing and this is this is tied into last episode we've seen this before is they hide the killer behind POVs like mm-hmm. we kind of saw it with the original kill we sort of get teases of it when that blood tr- the blood mobile blood mobile RV drives away from the murder scene like this is a continuation of that we're going to be introduced now. To the real killer, the real vampire serial killer. Yeah, yeah. It's very clear who it is. Essentially what's going to happen is Skanky the whole time, he's the only cop who's really pieced together that it's always O negative blood people and it's always homeless people other than this one weird thing at the museum. So he's kind of on to the profile of what the serial killer's up to. So he drops by the hospital just to look into the records of people who've donated blood recently to see if he can like see if there's a, a correlation between people dying on the street and O negative blood, because I guess this is a time and a place uh, in in narrative things where the idea is that like the homeless people sell their blood for money so they can live on the street. So he, he's onto this idea. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought it was interesting because he's not a bad detective. Like what we're seeing is he's not a terrible detective, actually. Like he does piece it together. No, and, and I think at the end of the episode, uh, Nick even says that, right? He's like, I wouldn't have figured all this out if it wasn't if you didn't figure out the O O negative blood thing, which, to be fair, is a weird leap of logic. So like good on him. Yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting idea of showing that he's, well, being obnoxious, not necessarily a terrible. He's got a lot of flaws, but maybe he's not the worst detective. Right, right. And anyway, while he's at the hospital, Nick sneaks out of the trunk of the car for some reason. He just needs to get out. And as he's walking around the hospital with his, like, burnt clothes from the sunlight, Nick uses his vampire hearing to hear that uh, Skanky's not really getting anywhere with his investigation. Like, the, the nurse at the desk won't give Skanky the information he needs without sign-off from, a, like, a superior. So... Nick helps out by just breaking into the office with the records and looking up the records while Skanky talks out there. And at this moment, while Nick's, like, looking up records, that Skanky ends up talking to Dr. Fenner, who, you know, we immediately know is the killer, the mobile blood donation truck killer. And 
it's a very odd thing. Nick and this guy talk for a bit because Nick recently gave blood. So Nick recognizes the doctor and they talk once more about this caddy. They have another conversation about this caddy. And I think the whole thing is that the killer is worried that Skanky's honing in on him. So he sneaks out to the caddy in the parking lot and then cuts the brake lines on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's it's it was a real stretch. Like I'm like, why would the like why would the killer cut the brake lines on the car? Well, it's a weird thing because it's like in the character he wants to slow down Nick, but in terms of the show, it doesn't really do anything because what we're gonna get is I think supposed to be kind of a funny scene of Skanky getting back into the car. As soon as he starts driving it, he realizes the brakes are in, are out, and and we kind of it implies that he's going to get into an accident. We're not going to see that because of budgetary reasons, but we're going to see him back at the mechanic, Jordan, and they're going to go through it. What didn't you like? How the entire crash sequence, the out of control car sequence, was set to polka music? <sighs> sure, he puts on polka music, and then you get this crazy scene. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did think it was great. No, and then Nick's in the trunk, being like, "Skanky, turn off this polka music." I just, I, I just, yeah, I, it just, n- none of it hit for me. Just zero. It was like, they're, they're batting zero. <laughs> I thought you'd be rolling in the aisles. No, the, but he goes back to the mechanic. We hear all the damage he's done. Like they talk about, uh, he sideswiped this guy and he bumped this thing and did that. And, but thankfully can't get the trunk open because Nick's in it. Yes. Nick is still in the trunk. We do. He managed to get back in before the accident and, I like this scene a little bit too. Skanky's feeling really bad that he trashed Nick's car. And then he turns around and, you know, Nick's used his superpowers, his super vampire powers to break out of the trunk. And he's now just standing abruptly behind Skanky. And Skanky immediately apologizes, which I was just like, I never thought this character would apologize. But he's so sorry. He's so sorry he messed up this car. But Nick kind of lets him off the hook because Nick, while he was hiding the trunk, heard someone messing around with the brakes. He's able to show Skanky that the brakes were cut, so it's not his fault the accident happens. And this is the scene where he's just like, you know what, Skanky, you were right about the killer's MO. I think he is related to the Mm -hmm. mobile hospital blood bank. It's kind of a nice scene where they kind of like connect as partners in a way. Yeah. And they, and they, is this where they go, they go back to the blood bank now? Yes, exactly. It leads them back to the hospital to ask to review staff records. And while they're there, the nurse mentions them. It's like, oh, well, that Dr. Fenner, he recently lost his mother. Uh, She died from a type O negative transfusion that had hepatitis in it. Um, And this is where, you know, they're like, oh, well, that probably came from a homeless person giving blood. So this man must be on a rampage against O negative homeless people for killing his mother. I mean, look, say what you will about the show. But this is this is such a weird weird leap for not only the show but also the character like so this guy who's a seemingly normal person who's a doctor is so upset that his mother died from a a horrible thing a blood transfusion that goes bad that he's figured out he now needs to uh, take this out on on homeless people because it possibly was a homeless person who donated blood which was a nice thing to do but it had hepatitis jordan it was not a nice thing to do (laughs) Yeah, but they should screen for hepatitis. That doesn't make any sense. These dirty homeless Jordan, he's out to get him. It doesn't make any sense. Anyways. He loved his mother that much, Jordan. He's a real Norman Bates. <laughs> You're right. It makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, this is his motivation. I thought it was very funny. It's like, what a motivation for murder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. At this point, it had taken so long to get to this point that I kind of forgot about like you were saying, this was kind of the B plot originally was these murders. But at this point, they're going full on. And I was like, I don't feel any momentum to solve this case anyways. I don't care. I don't care about Dr. Fenner. Keep killing them. Go for it. 
Yeah, it is funny. It just becomes the A plot in the like hardest shift of all time. It's like <laughs> now we're solving this murder and that's all. Yeah, exactly. At any rate, something that doesn't happen anymore because from a very specific time and place in TV and movies, could you do this? And it's such a convenient way of doing something. But Nick chooses at the moment they discover that Fenny's probably the murderer. He turns to the nurse and says, can I use your telephone? I want to check my answering machine at home for a second. Mm-hmm. Just like apropos of nothing. He calls his answering machine and it's very convenient timing because that curator who Nick had recently saved from LaCoy, she uh, she's broken into Nick's house. She's looking into this vampire stuff she saw that last night. And she can get into his house because Nick, when he went over for that makeout session, happened to mention the ancient hieroglyphics on the wall also <laughs> happened to be the first four digits of the code to his home. I know. It was such a weird it was a weird thing on many levels. It was very funny. So she's broken into his home to... I, I don't understand why she's broken in. I guess to look for vampire stuff. It makes no sense why she's there. It's Yeah, it's it's to get everyone in Nick's apartment, but it is weird that this is the this is the, the, the scene where all this action is going to take place. It seems like she had a whole separate plot because she was following them at the beginning of the episode. So somewhere along the way, there's a different TV show happening about this curator who's investigating vampirism. I think she was going to sneak into his bed... I'm hoping for a little sexy time. That's what I think. <laughs> At any rate, while she's there, she hears she hears some movement behind the door. She thinks it's Nick, but when she opens it, why, it's the street kid Genie. She's come by. She's been badly beaten by the serial killer and has somehow stumbled to the front door of Nick's house or maybe the back door. It's unclear. Well, the garage was locked. It was an odd scene, Jordan, because I thought she was finding the homeless girl at Nick's house and was going to think that Nick was the serial killer. But that's not the case. Like, I guess what we're supposed to think is that the homeless girl happened to drop by at the same time she was there. But I don't know how she got into the apartment. It's funny. I thought the exact same thing you did. I thought that's where it was going to go. The geography is very confusing, but I can only, by the reaction of the curator, understand that, like, she's not afraid to find this woman there. She's worried about the woman. Anyway, the point is, she brings Jeannie in the house. She calls an ambulance to help her. And at that exact moment, for also reasons I don't understand, the evil murderer, Dr. Fenner, has decided to stop by Nick's apartment. But I don't know why. Everyone everyone knows where he lives, and they all just decide to show up. There's just There's no reasons for it. It's just a huge plot hole. It's just like they've decided this is where the action is taking place, so all the characters just show up there. Well, and I mean, too, Dr. Fenner doesn't know Nick Knight is on the case. He knows Skanky's on the case, and he is trying to stop Skanky from finding him. We've seen that by him cutting Skanky's brakes. So he should be going to Skanky's house and killing Skanky's wife or something. But he's just randomly shown up at Nick's apartment at the exact same time as everyone else. And then when he hits the buzzer to come up, the curator turns on the video camera to the front door, and she's like, are you the ambulance? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure, I'm the ambulance. And she invites him inside. Yeah, that's right. That's all it took. To her credit, though, when he walks to the door, she's like, where are your medical bags? And he's just like, ah, I'm a killer. Just, I just got in here. I'm just joking. <laughs> it's true. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't try very hard to hide it once he's in. He's like, that's all I need. I need to get it. Now, now it's killing time. But this whole thing is happening at the exact moment that Nick is calling to check his answering machine. So the curator, when she hears the answering machine message start playing, she realizes, oh, if someone's checking their messages, it must be Nick. She picks up the phone. She's left it off the hook so Nick can hear that the killer showed up at his house. And then he runs out of the hospital and, like, flies to his apartment, smashes through a window, just as I believe I believe uh, Dr. Fenner has knocked 
the cur- museum curator unconscious. He's now threatening the injured homeless girl, Jeannie. And she is subsequently lit a broom on fire from the open fireplace in Nick's apartment and lit the entire apartment on fire. So the apartment's flaming. Nick's flying through a window. He's beating up Dr. Fenner to save the two uh, women in his house. Yeah. Oh, what I like, though, is when, um, uh, um, what's her name? Jeannie, the, the homeless girl? Mm-hmm. When she when she first lights the torch on fire, she like puts it at Doctor Fenner, and Doctor Fenner's like like Terminator. He just like walks slowly and just grabs it and like takes it away from her. I was like, whoa, he didn't he didn't care at all. I like the broom that she picks up is clear from twelve twenty eight Paris. Like it's just it's a stick with like <laughs> blades of grass tied to it to be a broom that you'd like see a peasant sweeping with. And I'm like, why does Nick have a broom from twelve twelve hundred still? They just made him better. Then he just kept it. <laughs> but yes, this is it. Apartment's on fire. Both the women are in jeopardy. Nick flies to the window, beats up Fenner, tells Jeannie to get out of the flaming apartment. He's he's jumping through flames. He's trying to get he's trying to get old uh, museum curator out of there too. And as he's helping her up, Lacroix also just flies through his window at that exact moment, picks up Doctor Fenner, and drinks all his blood. Yeah, you're just like what? What happened? It's because they were like, well, we need to have this final standoff is with Lacroix again even though you've just spent all this time with Dr. Fenner. So now it's going to become like a Nick versus LaCroix because I guess we never resolved their real fight. Yeah, so that's back. What I did like, though, is, you know, Dr. Fenner's dead now. All his blood's been drained. That's the end of his story. And they were worried people would have a question about the plot hole of, like, what happens when they find his body empty of blood? So at the end of the episode in the, like, denouement, uh, I think Stanky's like, hey, why was was the... (laughs) Why was Dr. Fenner empty of blood? And I believe the courier, uh, the coroner covers it up by saying, it evaporated in the fire. And he's like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's just like, sounds good. At any rate, that's just to clear up any plot holes for you. <laughs> yeah, but like, it is funny that like, they, they talk about that, but like, you would think they would have to be more. Like, Nick has a lot to explain. Like, why are all these people here? How are they connected? What just happened with the fight? Why is everything on fire? Like, there's a lot to explain, but they're just like, yeah, it evaporated. You're like, okay. Why Why were all the suspects in your home? I don't know. <laughs> He's like, I, none of us know, actually. At any rate, this is now the uh, final temptation for Nick. He's got to fight LaCroix in his flaming apartment, but he's too weak. He hasn't had blood in enough time. And both LaCroix... And the curator are like, drink, drink my blood. LaCroix is like, drink her blood and fight me. And, and the curator is like, yeah, yeah, drink my blood. Go for it. Have a nice time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's more that. She's basically like, drink my blood, make me a vampire, isn't she? Well, at first she's like, drink my blood and fight this guy. And then she's like, oh, and if you're going to do that, can you just make me a vampire at the same time? And it's so funny because her character's just like, why would you want that? And she's just like, I don't know, it's for research purposes. I'll just like stay alive and look at research for a long time. I'm like, ugh. Okay, I guess so. She she wants to get more work done. She's like she's like if I only like can you imagine what my pension's going to be after six hundred years of work. <laughs> Nick, of course, avoids temptation. He's not going to drink her blood. He's not going to bite her because he's he's a good vampire. He's trying to become mortal again. So he gets up. He tries to fight Lacroix, but he's too weak. He he's knocked down. And uh, Lacroix goes over there. He bites the curator, and it's and Nick, Nick's messed it all up. So Nick picks up a flaming two by four mm-hmm. and throws it through Lacroix's heart. I thought it looked pretty good. It's not, it's not bad. Lacroix has got it through his heart. He bursts into flames and dies. And I was shocked. I'm like, I don't know how they've killed Lacroix. I'm sure he's a regular character. 
Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was going to be a thing where, like, he just comes back or you're only ever going to see him in flashbacks. That's my guess. I guess we'll only see him in flashbacks. But I was shocked. I was like, why would you, like... You may disagree, but I thought he was a, one of the stronger points of the episodes. Like, as far as like a, like overarching villain who's maniacal and like funny, he's not bad. No, I agree. I I like him better than our lead. I mean, he's kind of got that thing that all villains can get is they can just like chew the scenery and have a great time. So he like he's he's got the best role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's enjoying himself. And that's sort of how the scene ends. Is is she's bitten and they'll say she's dead, and then he, the bad guy's dead, and we cut to. Nick and Dr. Nat and Skanky hanging out at the museum, like basically giving a mon- like giving a not a monologue, but a, a some exposition saying the case is closed. That the, Nick has solved it. Uh, Lacroix's dead. Dr. Fenner's dead. They've solved the mysteries. And then what we see is that Nick has given his one jade cup to the museum as a replacement for the other one that they don't know is broken because he doesn't need it anymore. Like it's not going to cure him of vampirism. Yeah. And don't they? They make another Greek joke here, don't they? About Skanky, they make some like joke like. Suvlaki or something he's like oh you guys well that's a weird bit here is as they're kind of giving the denouement in the episode uh nick's looking better which i wouldn't have questioned i was like of course he's looking better it's like a day later but dr nat reveals she's like i gave you i gave you a blood transfusion to help you feel better and he's like yeah thanks for that and then she's like and then skanky walks and he's like how do you like having my skanky blood in you and he's like you you have a taste for Suvlaki yet and i'm just like what that's right. I forgot. You're right. That's what it is. Yeah. So he gave him the transfusion. So I didn't know vampires could get transfusions. Uh, apparently. I mean, I mean, it's the same as drinking blood, I guess. My guess. But it's just for a gagger. He's just like, you got some skanky in you. And Nick's like disgusted that he has this man's blood in him. Yeah. And then and then, Luke, we get this uh, last shot of um, we get to see someone watching them from up high. And who is it? Well, it turns out the curator did not die after being bitten. She has become a vampire, and I guess she's now the vampire of the ROM. I'm sure it's never going to come back up, but I was like, what is this reveal that she's a vampire now? Who cares? I know. It's just, it's just going to make her shifts really difficult. <laughs> Isn't she just going to kill a bunch of people at the museum? I was just like, doesn't Nick need to kill her? Like, I, I feel like that's Nick's responsibility. Yeah. It, 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 and, and yeah, it's like, a, I think maybe it's like, a, she's going to be back, but I don't think anyone cares. No, I did not feel like they were even intended for her to come back. It just was weird. It just like felt like if Nick's whole purpose is to not kill, and then he's now seen a new vampire has been sired, and he, he seems to have helped her because he looks up and sees her and like gives her a wave. I'm just like, isn't Nick now responsible for this woman and like her not killing more people? Because she's just going to go kill a whole bunch of people. No, because the point was the, 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 the Jade Cup, remember, Luke? Yeah, but that, no, that hasn't been the Jade Cup. The Jade Cup ended 50 minutes ago. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. They're not very good. These episodes are not very good. They need a little more just consistency of like what Nick's drive is. And it's not clear right now. I would agree. I would agree that there's uh, my, this is what I said before is I feel like there's like a weird momentum problem in this show. And it's, he as a lead is not driving any of the action. He's sort of just like walking around and be like, I'm a mopey vampire, but I'm like, okay, well then be a mopey vampire that solves cases because you're a detective too. Yeah, I mean, they do sort of said it's like he's the good vampire. So he doesn't kill, he doesn't drink human blood, and he's trying to become human again. But really, when he goes about doing his activities, like like leaving that vampire alive at the end doesn't really check out with everything they've set up for him. Like, a lot of the pieces just don't seem to be, like, clicking into place. Yeah. And don't, don't you think this the show, and maybe, again, this is unfair. Don't you think it, like, I know they... They want to have a little bit of humor with Natalie and uh, uh, the coroner and Nick having sort of a 
banter back and forth, but I didn't think it really worked. And like, I feel like the show is desperate for a little bit of levity. And I just don't know if any of what they're trying is working very well. I think the levity is there. I would disagree. I don't know if it's the best written levity, but I don't think it's not there. I think it's very from a time and a place where just like you have a slovenly obnoxious sidekick and that's enough to be comic. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's maybe that's unfair because it's whatever, 1992. I mean, it's not you're not wrong. It's not going to be it's not the best written show. Like these jokes aren't landing like crazy. But, you know, if if you're going to laugh at the idea of this man loves Slovaki, then you're going to have a good time. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, you're right. It's a stupid joke that he gets in the car and he changes the radio station to polka music because I guess he's whatever. Uh, what did you say? Greek or whatever? I guess Greek people of polka or something. Yeah. Or maybe just obnoxious people do. Yeah, that's the joke. It's like no one likes polka music, right? Eh, but okay. that's at least a gag, right? Like they, they tried. That's true. I'll give them that. They tried. I think they failed, but they tried. It's not like this is a show that's like all melodrama all the time with no like attempt at levity. Hmm. Well, well, while we get into it then, what what would you give the uh, the first episode? I mean, these are weird because they really are two halves of an episode, even as disconnected as they are. Yeah, well, I think we should treat them separately still. I think it's worthwhile. I, I'm going to give, I mean, this is not my favorite kind of show. I'm not necessarily a huge vampire fan, but I, I have watched plenty of vampire stuff. I understand kind of the tropes of this genre. And it's not the strongest version of these tropes. They're not like they're not like landing all of them well. They're not like doing the best job of it. But I I think it's a pretty decent. I think if this is a kind of show you like, you know, I like uh, shows set in space on spaceships. I can be more forgiving of them. And I think there, if you like this kind of show, mm-hmm. you could probably get into it, even though it's not the perfect version. I'm gonna go six point five on the first episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you liked it more than I did. I'm gonna be. I think more fair than I normally would just because I want to give this show a chance. It's the first couple episodes. So I'm going to give the first episode a five and a half, but it, I, I did not enjoy it. I, I was hopeful it was going to be much better than what it is. And when you say fair, you're It's because you gave it 0.5 over just like the middle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> this should be getting like a two. And the second chapter, Jordan. Um, I, I'm going to go down slightly only because I think to the point you made, I think, uh, in some ways, I like the second episode more, but I think in terms of actually watching this as its own episode, it was a bit of a mess. Just like you said, like it sort of just started in the middle of nothing. You're just like, what is happening? Why are, you know, what are these characters doing? And I just felt like they just kept dropping the whole point of what they were doing the first episode. So I'm, I'll give it a five, the second one. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's, a, as you said, a very odd episode because it changes what the show is it becomes just a straight up detective show vampire solving a mystery which is honestly totally fine and probably should be what this show is but as a second part of a very like different plotted show it's jarring and it ends up being rushed and like they wrap up the first episode's pilot plot in the first five minutes and then they're like oh and now here's the murder plot we sort of teased last time and we're gonna rush through that and then we're yeah. going to try to tie them all together by having all of the characters arrive at the same place at the same time. It's it's a real mess. I don't think it serves the original episode well. I don't think it serves as a different episode well. It's it, I'm going to give it a three. Mm. Okay, so not, not great uh, uh, auspicious beginnings here for this show. I, I will say this. I didn't like these two episodes. However, I am hopeful that 
they're going to have hit their stride, especially from the way we're going to be watching this show, which is, you know, uh, jumping a few episodes in and jumping a few more episodes ahead again. I'm hoping that it will have kind of hit its stride and that it will have smoothed out a little of these kind of kinks and that it's going to be a, a more enjoyable, more fun show. And now, I, it may be unfair for me to want this to be fun because maybe that's not what the show wants to be, but I'm desperate for it to be like a rollicking good time. And it so far it's not. <laughs> well, I think it is if you like this kind of thing. Like I think it already is. Yeah, I do. I just, I just don't think it is. I just, I just don't think. I, I, there's just, well, I don't. There's nothing fun about it. Nothing. I think you don't like this genre is the problem. <laughs> but, but I don't know if that's fair though. It's like I, I don't really care what the genre is if it's if it's well executed. I just don't think this is so far. Like it's just not. Like we can say that some things have not aged well. Or that jokes haven't landed as well they once did, but like, like I mean, funny's still funny, and like I just think th- this show is just inconsistent at best as to what it's trying to do. It's just kind of so far, it's kind of a boring show, and it and like boring is boring, you know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would disagree with the boring aspect of it. I think really, yeah, I don't think I was bored ever. <laughs> hmm. Well, well, you know what? Again, I will I will reserve my judgment till there's till this next episodes, but but I am hoping. Uh, well, you know what? We we'll see where our scores go because uh, we might be going in different directions. You know? No, we'll see. Maybe you're gonna love it more, and I'll love it less. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. You never know. I do think you're right, though. It, they're an odd, inconsistent two pilot episodes. So I think maybe with this out of the way, where they never quite figured out how to tie in the overarching vampire dealing with his yeah. inhumanity, trying to become human, with the plot of like doing a detective show which i'll be honest it's not a hard thing to tie together people have done it a million times you know how many shows there are like this a thousand of them so it's a little bit awkward that they yeah. couldn't quite figure out how to land it particularly knowing that there's a pilot that they already made with rick springfield that's true that's true but you know what again we'll, we'll see i think maybe maybe the two hour sort of uh um window of these two episodes was maybe they tried to do too much with the time maybe it's like they'll be better as a just a standalone episode kind of show well i was i was googling up because you told me about it at the start i was looking at it as we were talking the uh the original tv movie that was like the first attempt to make this mm. it's the same plot so it's so weird to me that they didn't get better <laughs> they didn't like do a didn't get a better version of it well maybe they liked it and they just thought that the promise was rick springfield yeah i mean we didn't watch it obviously i don't know if it's beef for beat the same plot but it's the same like premise for the plot so it's very funny that it's hasn't gotten stronger in the rewrites well who knows who knows but what future episodes we'll see we'll see how the show goes you know it's also strange about this tv movie what it's not set in toronto isn't it no the original tv movie is set in the states so it's very weird that it's now been moved to toronto <laughs> Oh, it is weird. Also, I'll say this as someone who uh, lives in the area. Uh, I It's probably that Toronto's changed so dramatically, but like I don't even recognize the city except for the ROM. I was like, this doesn't even look like Toronto. Oh, really? I recognize quite a bit of it, actually. Do you? I was just, it seemed so, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe, it was just my vampire vision was making things hard to see. They're driving that loop by the university for a while. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> you get to see that CN Tower in the sky, the sun setting behind it. That's true. That's true. You do get the CN Tower shots. All right, Jordan. Well, that's the end of our first two episodes of uh, Old Forever Night. I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. I think, I don't think it's ever going to become great, but I think it's it's on its way to something potentially fun. Here's hoping. I'm, I'm really hoping. I'm, I'm, I'm on team uh, uh, Nick Knight, so I'm hoping that it gets better. In the meantime, 
we've got a new initiative ourselves bonus episodes for charity for any of the shows like we're doing now with forever night where we're going to skip a bunch of episodes and just do the best of if you want us to go back watch an episode we missed because you think it's like the best episode of the series and we we made a mistake skipping past it you can donate to a list of charities on our website, continuumdrag.podbean.com. These charities are selected by our past guests. And uh, for a donation to these charities, we will go back. We'll watch an episode of your choice, uh, obviously from the best ofs. If we've taken Escape Pod, maybe from an older show we've watched that we didn't finish an entire series of, season of, we'll go back and watch them like that. You can get all the details on our website. Or if you go to our social media, there's links on our bios there that will give you all the details around like how much to donate, how to donate, where to donate, how to tell us about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you have any questions, you can always email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com and we'll fill you in all the gaps we as, as best we can. And um, of course, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, we're going to have clips from Forever Night. There's some great clips in these episodes. Uh, I mean, uh, you got some vampires floating. You got uh, fangs being bared. You've got... Uh... Uh, as, what, like two by fours on fire throwing into vampires people are getting impaled all kinds of stuff are happening in this show mm-hmm. and this is of course uh, our uh, handle there is at continuum drag there we go we figured it all out and uh, that wraps it up for the episode so listener thank you for joining us joining us joining us thank you for joining us <laughs> listener and Jordan I'll see you next week <laughs> see you then Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes. <laughs>